I'm Felicia King, and you're listening to Breakfast Bites. In today's show, we're going to talk about a variety of privacy and security-related topics, uh, the first of which I'd like to start with an interesting concept uh, exploration from the big New York Times article that uh, came out uh, the second week in December that talked about the uh, location services issues. Now, if you haven't seen this article, then uh, just do a little internet search. Uh, go to DuckDuckGo and then search for uh, Disturbing Secretive Surveillance State Location Services. So this is a New York Times op-ed, uh, and actually Zero Hedge has an even better analysis of it. And so if you really actually want to find a better version of it, there's uh, the Zero Hedge analysis of it is there as well as a direct link to the New York Times op-ed piece. So basically here's the crux of it. So it turns out that the New York Times had been engaging in tracking of individuals as part of their endeavors for journalism. And that's about as polite of a way as I can say it. And they had purchased access to location services. And there is no regulation around privacy and the reselling of data. And this is pretty consistently across the board. This isn't just about location services. The difference is that location services is extremely precise. So your geolocation data is extremely, extremely precise. We're talking about 12 inches you know, three feet, 12 inches sort of precise, extremely precise. Because of the nature of the data, it's really impossible to anonymize that data. And this is the crux of the problem, is that like most problems with Congress, they are a bunch of lawyers they don't understand technology, and they're always trailing behind any sort of consumer protection law, way trailing behind. So they're right now in the legal side with regards to privacy data. If you were to agree to utilize an app, so you've consented to the use of, of your GPS or even your more coarse location data, which is derived from cell tower triangulation information. So even if you subscribe or agree to consent to through an app to even have your coarse location data uh, captured by that app, once you have consented to that app, that app itself, whether or not you have the GPS on your phone enabled, 
that app will grab that location data and will record it back to their cloud server. They then have this data and this sort of precise data and all of this personally identifiable information is constantly being utilized by an enormous industry called the data brokers. And these app makers are collaborating with data brokers and engaging in correlation of the data. And they are creating, uh, under the guise of human behavioral analytics and having the ability to um, predict what is going to happen to a particular product uh, in the market based upon a particular event. So for example, a business may say, well, you know, we are contracting with this data broker to utilize their artificial intelligence package to analyze or predict for us what is going to happen in the context that a hurricane hits this particular area, what's going to happen to our business model. Maybe sales go down 30% that month. How long does that last, right? So from their perspective, this is a legitimate use of the data. Uh, they could be utilizing the data for uh, advertisement tracking and ad targeted ads and these sorts of things that like Facebook has been uh, doing at a ubiquitous level since the beginning of Facebook. And the, you know, those things sound all legitimate, but the reality of the implication is that this precise location data and the fact that it's effectively being permanently retained. There is no data retention mandate, no data retention standard for this data as soon as you have consented to even have one app have access to collect and report this data, this data is now out there. So we're literally talking about a scenario where this is, this location data about you, it goes far beyond simply what Verizon or AT&T or Sprint is collecting about you. And I think they are doing a better job at the location data side in terms of not just reselling that data endlessly or basically they're having tighter agreements. They're still selling, reselling location data, but the transitive trust agreements have gotten a little bit under control, not entirely, but a little bit under control uh, simply because of these massive breaches that occurred last year in terms of the location data that was coming out of the uh, cell service providers themselves. However, nothing has happened to clean up the leakage and the abuse of this location data by all of the different app providers. So the app providers are selling their location data to data aggregators 
the data aggregators are then just selling this access to this data in real time, I might add. So real time and historical lookups, historical tracking to whoever pays the fee to have access to it. It's not gated. I mean, here, you know, the New York Times uh, reporters themselves got access to all of this uh, information. So this is a real human physical safety issue. We could look at it as a massive national security issue as well. When you consider that uh, Google and Apple, as part of their arrangements with the Chinese government, engaged in, engage in, in arrangements where the Chinese government uh, has the ability to intercept and copy every packet in and out of Apple or Google's networks that basically go through Asia-Pac. And so you, what's the implication to you of this? If you use Google, and Google is, of course, replicating their data worldwide, you have an account on Google, you have an account on Apple. That data is getting replicated worldwide across their Google authentication servers, Google Drive servers, etc. Therefore, the Chinese government has a full copy of all of your U.S. domestic stuff that you thought was only U.S. domestic and was not being given to hostile foreign nations in terms of being able to be used against us for national security or personal security issues. But that's exactly what's happening is Apple and Google got into these arrangements with the Chinese government where if Google and Apple wanted to get into the Chinese market, they had to set up their network pathways such that the Chinese government could make a full copy of every packet in and out. So uh, you may argue, well, isn't that what the U.S. government did with AT&T and Verizon and Microsoft, etc.? Yes, yes, you would be absolutely correct. That is exactly what they did. Yes. Uh, does that make it any better? No. Uh, is that a, uh, has that been a major source of constitutional protection contention? ever since, uh, you know, the revelations by uh, Bill Binney and uh, Edward Snowden. Of course, these are major problems. Has it stopped the government from uh, doing these abuses? No. Do you trust the U.S. government a little bit more than the Chinese government? Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. Nonetheless, the point here is to understand the implications of this data being leaked out. So now if it is a matter of anyone with a credit card can sign up and have an account to be able to have access to this data, then now this information could be used by business competitors, criminals, maybe people who don't like what you say on social media, 
like Antifa, as an example, could track where you are and where you've been and could hunt you down. So this is a major human physical safety issue because of the completely open nature of access to this data and the fact that there are no governmental privacy protections around it because as soon as you have consented to the agreement for the app, then the implication is you've consented to having all that data collected. Once they have that data, whoever they are, maybe you consented to give it to Google because you have a Pixel phone. Maybe you consented to have it given to Samsung because you have a Samsung phone. So something as simple as that is leaking all of this data and the implications are you have no no privacy protections around it. So at the very least what you should do is take a hard hard look at any and all apps that are on your phone, including things that are part of the OS for it. And take a hard, hard look at things like a Home Depot app or a Menards app, any sort of shopping app that of course is going to try to discern your location for the purposes of finding the most closely located store for you so that it can show you the relevant information for that store, uh, you have to just stop that stuff from happening. I have also seen quite a lot of intrusiveness from any of these auto manufacturer apps as well. So you'll see the auto manufacturers have these apps where they're like, oh, it's the... Uh, it's, it's the such-and-such such owner program app, and, you know, we want to show you where your local dealer is. And so, of course, they're going to try to interrogate the location data on that uh, app. And so uh, you need to just deny access to that type of stuff. Anyways, please do take a hard and long look at your phone and or your tablet or anything that has a cellular data connection uh, capabilities and or really I mean you could you could make the same argument for uh, an iPad that you only ever connect to the wireless it's the same thing because that iPad actually has a GPS inside of it whether or not you have a cellular data connection on it that iPad has a GPS so therefore it could quite easily be capturing the location data and then reporting it back to whoever is going to abuse that data. Anyways, please give that some thought. So let's move on to some uh, interesting develops in developments in ransomware. So there's been the uh, some revelations in that the Ryuk ransomware actually contains software bugs that cause data loss for victims. So this is just another example as to why you would never ever actually want to pay for ransomware. It's crazy. It, to me, I look at ransomware very similar to similarly to 
um, illegal drugs uh, or prostitution for that matter. The supply would not exist if the demand dried up. If there was no demand for prostitution, there wouldn't be a supply for people supplying that service. Well, if people in general would just stop paying for ransomware, then the incentive to do ransomware is greatly diminished. I'm not going to say that it goes away entirely, because you can still make an argument that in some cases people are doing ransomware for destructive reasons that are not financially motivated. So there are, there's of course no guarantee that if you pay the ransomware fee that you're actually going to get your data back. And even if the ransomware holder attempts to legitimately, you know, like actually genuinely tries to help you decrypt your files by giving you the keys to it or whatever. It may not actually even work just simply because of software bugs. So this is uh, another lovely thing you need to be aware of is just another reason to not pay for ransomware. Now, while I'm on this ransomware topic, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you need to be protecting yourself as a, a single individual or as a, a business, an organization who does business with a, um, an IT consultant. Okay, whether it be an IT consultant that utilizes uh, remote monitoring and management tools or, um, you know, really any sort of tools. Okay. So you need to be aware that uh, the majority of IT consulting firms that are running products called RMMs, which is a remote monitoring and management tool, they are doing it in a way that is convenient for them, not in a way that is adequately secure. So let's draw a distinction there. Because one of the things that you should be doing is you should be making an assessment yourself as to the security of their system. I'll give you a great example. And I'm just going to use some generic names here. So let's say you realize that the RMM that they're using is uh, Dato. So it's like rmm.dato.com. If you can blanket, just, just blanket without any work at all, get to https rmm.dato.com, then what this means is so can the hackers. They can get to it too. There is something called IP access control restrictions that is an extremely effective security mechanism. It's almost a level of multi-factor authentication, but it's a much more effective method of multi-factor authentication because it actually is just a straight-up traffic block before the authentication even has an opportunity to occur. So the hackers can't 
gain access to the system remotely through compromised credentials through a website that is not accessible to them. So if an RMM is being utilized, that RMM should be gated. So as an example, our RMM is heavily gated. It is very, very heavily gated. And it uses multi-factor authentication on top of that. And this is really what you have to do if you are going to adequately secure this content because a master level account in an RMM has master level access to all of the endpoints. So this could be an absolutely catastrophic problem where a major breach of an IT consulting firm's all of their customers, all of the endpoints for all of their customers could be breached and ransomwared, etc., uh, simply because they had an attitude of convenience towards their RMM. Now, most consulting firms are using cloud-hosted RMMs. Cloud-hosted RMMs are innately not able to utilize IP access control restrictions. So to me, that is an enormous failing in those systems. Just because they're cloud-hosted does not make them more secure. It does not make them more competently managed. That is a major fallacy that's out there. What it does do is it puts the perimeter at the authentication layer instead of the perimeter being the network layer. So the network layer is really the most effective mechanism for having security because if the traffic, whether it be an authentication attempt or the traffic to gain access to a website or to a resource just can't get there, if the traffic just can't get there at all, whether it be on an ingress or egress side, then the bad problems just don't happen. I mean, they can't even start to happen. So I take this kind of security extremely seriously because 2019 was the year where um, which, by the way, this is the level of security that I've been using for at least the last 15 years. But 2019 was the year where we read event after event after event after event where an IT consulting firm was the reason why their 100-plus customers all got totally hacked, backdoored, ransomware and uh, I mean it's really been a major problem and the part that I find pretty horrific is that the consulting firms that got compromised they got compromised because they didn't do the things that we all have known needed to be done 20 plus years ago security is not 
a mystery. It's not an unknown item. We know what it is that needs to be done. It's extremely time consuming to do security properly. It has to be maintained. You have to have a significant level of competency to get a comprehensive strategy in place. And it's complicated. So not everybody has the ability to do that. If you are using an IT consulting firm for services, ask them very specifically what RMM it is that they're using. Does it use IP access control restrictions? Who can authenticate to it? Who has administrative access? How many people through that RMM have the ability to impact your systems? These are questions you should ask. And if you don't like the answers, then ask them to either fix the problems or you need to start looking for another service provider. There's a major problem with using consulting firms that uh, allow entirely too many people to have access to things. So, um, you know, it's like, does every account inside the RMM need to have access to every customer's every endpoint? Well, I'd hope the answer to that that you know, obviously, is no. But this is actually how the majority of them do it. The majority of them are operating under a paradigm that says, well, customers want to have the ability to contact us 24-7, 365, and the only way that we can provide this depth of bench to be able to uh, provide service, you know, with is to have a large volume of people so they'll have a back-end outsourced help desk of 150 people, 200 people. In some cases, uh, in the case of Continuum, you're looking at 700 people in Mumbai, so in that case, this many people have full admin access to all your systems through that RMM 24-7-365. And is there a reason why you feel you need 700 people to be able to provide you with the support for your organization? Do you think it actually takes 700 people to get the job done? Well, I'll tell you flat out, the answer is no, it's not. When I talk to uh, other business owners that I know that are actually running secure consulting firms, they have the same approach that we do, which is that it's a small team of tightly controlled stuff, and even amongst that small team, no one person has access to everything. And there is you know, role-based access control amongst other uh, very common sense, well-documented, best security practices out there. So uh, these are things to think about because 2019 was, or 20, yeah, 2019 was the year where healthcare organizations completely got ransomware. They were getting ransomware through um, <clears throat> their through the RMMs for their outsourced IT. All kinds of 
uh, customers of certain Microsoft partners got completely hacked and ransomwared. Their Office 365 tenants were destroyed, and all the content that was in there that was destroyed was because why? Well, because the consulting firms that they were doing business with were lazy and did not have appropriate security protections. So security is about human practices as well as controls, electronic, digital, technological controls, but it's also about human processes. So if you ask these questions and you can't get adequate answers or you don't know what the answers should be that they're giving you, then uh, it maybe would make sense for you to engage someone like us to be able to help you with that process of doing an investigation. We do a lot of business consulting on the security side or efficiency side uh, and just uh, do that to help customers um, you know, have that fiduciary representative and we do that countrywide. So uh, that is my uh, warning to you for your location tracking issues with mobile devices and the apps on your mobile devices as well as do not pay the ransomware. Bad, bad. Nothing good comes from that. Oh, and also one tidbit left of that whole ransomware issue is if you are not absolutely certain of all of the ways in which you could recover from a data encryption attack like ransomware, this is also something you need to investigate.